Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, guys. And we have a special guest today. We have Abby Chan, registered dietitian, co-owner of Evolve Flagstaff. She also has her master's degree in, um, tell me again. Nutrition and dietetics. Nutrition and dietetics. And tell us about Evolve Flagstaff. Where were you, the business you co-own? Yeah, so we are based out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, and so we are an integrated facility that integrates um, nutrition, obviously, injury prevention and performance training. Awesome. So what is your role there? Oh, I wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> so my role is I work one-on-one -on -one with patients and clients. Um, from a dietitian perspective, I generally work with athletes and eating disorders. Um, and then... Um, Beyond that too, we also have like a meal prep arm of our business. So I am, um, I like to call myself a chef as well. So a dietitian who uh, we make like, I don't even know how many meals a week, like 500 meals a week um, that are all like planned and balanced by me. And my whole thing with food is how do we make it fun, interesting, um, tasty, and then also um, enough to meet your needs. I want to ask you a ton of questions about that later, especially you talked about them being, being balanced. And I want to hear about that. Um, but before we get there, we should talk about what, what we're really talking about today. And we're going to get into some, some specifics about um, different types of people's nutrition, like specifically for me, I'm going to ask some questions about being an older male. And then we have some women specific questions and we're going to talk about maybe some general things to make sure we all have the bases covered. Before we get into all that, though, um, Marilyn just got back from a race, and that hasn't happened in a while, so I'm pretty excited to ask her some questions about her race. So welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, it had been since before the pandemic that I raced. It was, it's been quite a while. <laughs> and tell us all what race you did. So I went to Masters Nationals, and I did all three races. I did the time trial, the road race, and the crit. So three races. And um, yeah, it, it wasn't like a stage race or anything like that. You could choose to do just one or two or all three. Um, that, so I did all three. Awesome. Were there was there like an omnium all together, or was it just three separate? Just three separate. Three separate races. Yeah, okay. I, I'm the only I'm the only one that did all three actually. Oh, nice. I figured I'm driving all the way out there. I might as well. Do <laughs> And this was in Albuquerque, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So you got to deal with a little bit of altitude? Yep. It was um, between 5,000 and 7,000 feet, all of the racing. So pretty high up there, just like flag, you know, um, definitely, definitely felt that a bit. And I don't want to make this a 30 minute race report, but congrats. You, you broke an hour in the TT. Thanks. Yeah. That was my whole goal going there is that honestly, I'd never in all of my riding career, I'd never broken an hour for 40 K. I had done an hour, uh, quite a few times like on the nose, but never broken it. And I didn't know if this was the course to do it because there was two pretty tight U-turns. And then there were several other corners. It was also quite windy. And, um, there was a hill in the, in the like middle part of the course. So I wasn't sure if this was the course to do it, but it had good pavement and it was at altitude and that made it fast. And so I, I thought maybe, and um, yeah, super happy. I was like 5904. So nice. Yeah. You, you crushed it. Um, 
And then the road race, that was like shorter, but pretty intense. Yeah, shorter, shorter for the women. Um, we just did one lap of the course, really tough course though. And honestly, it was the kind of course, the finish was really technical. It was a really fast downhill into a really hard left-hand turn and then a downhill finish into a finish shoot. And if you were first into that turn, that's was going to be like how you got into that turn was going to determine the finish. I mean, you had to be there in the end, but like, um, and actually, you know, this is where racing practice comes in is that I was first and I knew that. So I was first into the, I was like leading as we were barreling towards that turn. And I saw this little like lip in the road and the crack uh, on the corner. And I hadn't practiced the corner. And I thought, man, we're going pretty fast. If we hit this turn going this fast, we might slide out. And so I hesitated. I didn't even break. I just hesitated momentarily and two girls whipped around me. And when they went around me, once we were on the downhill in the last like 200 meters, I mean, I, there's no way to sprint past someone when you're already going downhill. So I needed to just nail that corner. They had been racing all year and their, you know, skills were up to snuff as far as like knowing they could hit that turn that fast. And I just, even though I was leading into the turn, I was like, man, can we hit this turn this fast? And then it's like, Yep, I guess we can because they went zooming right around me. And um, yeah, so I ended up third. So second in the TT, third in the road race. Um, and then the crit, I was third as well. Awesome. Yeah. How long was the road race time wise? Wasn't, you know what? That's a good, a good question. It wasn't that long. It was like an hour and a half, um, okay. hour 40, something like that. It had a really, really hard hill in it, really hard hill. Um, and then the back half was like windy and rolling and then another long hill up before the fast downhill finish. So, um, tough course, but, uh, but yeah, just everything was about the timing of that corner on that finish. If you were going to win. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, no, I guess the reason I was asking about the duration is, uh, trying to steer this back towards nutrition and wonder if you did anything for, for that length of a race and anything different because you were at altitude. I don't know if you changed things up for that or not. No, honestly, you know, what's funny is that like, um, at altitude, I feel like, and, and we'll, I'm sure Abby will be able to tell us the details of this. I just always feel like you need a lot more hydration going into the event and you need a little bit more sugar, um, going into it and, and, and carbohydrate right before, um, because the race was so short, I, I, I literally went through like three quarters of a bottle, but what I did do is make sure that I had, really good hydration going into the race. And I had quite a bit of sports drink in that bottle, which I normally wouldn't have for that short of a race, just knowing that it was higher altitude and it was going to be a pretty high intensity race. You know, your heart rate's really pinned quite high and doesn't come down at altitude. So I figured I'm going to be ripping through the sugar a bit more. So I had two bottles and I had a lot more sports drink in them than I normally would. So that would be, I guess if I was going to, if I changed anything, that was it. Cool. Well, let's ask the expert. What do you think about, um, <laughs> do you think people should change what they're eating or drinking, um, at altitude asking, because I'm also going up to flag to race this weekend. So I need to totally change my nutrition plan. What should I do? Definitely. So, um, because at elevation, so there's a lot of things that are involved with hydration. So obviously elevation, because it's going to increase your respiratory rate. Uh, so you'll be breathing harder, therefore also drying out your airways more and dehydrating yourself just because, um, we call it insensible water loss basically. Um, and that's just, if you're just breathing more, even at rest, just 
in general, average humans just breathe harder at elevation. So then when you start to include movement and exercise on top of that, that respiratory rate's gonna increase even more. Um, and because of that, also thinking of heart rate where um, Marilyn, you added, you said a little bit more sports drink to it. I'm assuming there was carbs in there too. Uh, meaning that because you're in more of that anaerobic state uh, for that sustained period of time, you're gonna be utilizing more of that quick fast sugar. Um, and that's gonna be a better thing to do. Awesome. All right. So sounds like Marilyn had a pretty good approach by making sure she was really hydrated going in and then adding a little bit more uh, density to her sports drink. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too, is that it's important. And I'd be interested, Marilyn, to even ask like, what'd you do before that? But hydration isn't just like, all right, I'm going to down a bunch the right before my race. It's like, long like there's long-term hydration where it's like let's pay attention to the week before um and what is your sweat rate like again everyone's going to be very different and uh, even between male and female of how much you're sweating um and just how much muscle mass you have in general as well um so people who have more muscle mass means that they have more of their body to cool down um therefore they will get dehydrated at a much faster rate than someone who has possibly less muscle mass on them um so even thinking in that sense too of sweat rate and how much you're going to be needing making sure that you're planning for that if you know you're going to be at elevation and it's going to be hot we should be thinking about what are we doing also the week before to make sure that hydration status is actually maintained yep cool um all right let's take a step back from a specific example and um like i said before i i watched your a lot of your whiteboard talks and I send them to some of my athletes. So good, great job of those. Keep doing them. Um, and one caught my eye in, in kind of the lead up for this podcast. And that was one where you talked about nutritional competency and, you know, you had like a little pyramid there where you talked about getting enough, getting things in the right balance, um, some fancy stuff. And I think there's another layer I'm forgetting there. Um, I was wondering if you could just maybe start there and, and, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of athletes that are working a full-time job, probably training like minimum two hours a day, likely a broken session, maybe like an hour in the morning, hour or two in the afternoon. And, and so, yeah, I feel like getting in enough food and getting the timing of that right is, is a question on a lot of athletes' minds. And then even some of our, like other athletes that are maybe they're, they're not working that full-time job, but maybe they're training, you know, 30 to 35 hours a week. Um, so yeah, I guess, can you talk a little bit about that and how it might apply to someone who, who is kind of training a fair bit? Totally. So I think that it's really important. So I've worked with hundreds and thousands of people, basically, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of individuals, one-on-one -on -one patients and um, patients and clients, and depending on whether they're more in the sport world or not. I think that even just the culture that we live in um, around food and movement and bodies is inherently just disordered anyway. So I really have yet to meet someone who has like a totally normal quote unquote, normal relationship to food. And I think a lot of times because of this culture that we live in, that is what's the new fad diet or what's the new thing that's coming up is that um, 
people don't understand because a lot of times even the more recreational athletes don't see themselves as, as an athlete or even someone who isn't um, competing, they may not see themselves as an athlete, even though they may have the same amount of input um, hours and endurance wise as someone who would be a quote unquote athlete. So I think a lot of people um, don't actually recognize themselves as that. And then they end up following along into these trends of like, oh, well, I want to cut weight or I want to do, I don't know, I want to slim down or I want to whatever my coworkers doing keto. And so I should too, when they forget that that doesn't actually support their training and the actual output that they're doing. So I yet have, I have yet to meet someone who I'm totally like, okay, cool. Let's start to get into the fancy stuff. Like if we do think about it as a pyramid, it's basically like, first and foremost, do you have enough? So do you have enough food that involves, do you have access to enough food? Um, that could be, whether it be financially, um, could also just be like in your day. Like if you're someone who um, drives a lot or has to travel a lot for work, um, your access to food is going to be very limited because it's, or it's just going to take a lot more time and planning involved with it as well. Um, and then we're starting to look at, okay, so say you can check the box of, yes, I have access and yes, I have the time and space amongst my job and training and possibly kids and family to then plan my food for a day, especially around training. Um, and then it's starting to look at, okay, that leads us into frequency. Um, am I getting at least enough? So for even average people, it's going to depend on various amounts, obviously, but it's like, that's three meals, three snacks to me. Like that's at least what's quote unquote normal. Um, so it's, are you having enough in that sense? And then once we can check that box off of as enough um, and that you have access, then it's kind of leveling up and being like, okay, cool. Let's start to play with the variety of foods. Um, because if we get so pinholed, if you're someone who counts calories or macros or really gets into the nitty gritty in that sense, uh, the research actually shows that those who micromanage their diet significantly versus those who don't, who eat somewhat more intuitively and eat a bigger variety of foods, those who eat the more variety of foods actually have better nutrient profiles. So it's interesting, we think of the person who maybe has everything dialed and they're counting everything and tracking every gram that's going in their body. Um, what happens is there's a lot of fatigue with that. It takes a ton of time. And especially if you're an athlete who works and does all these other things, that what happens is that you get super pinned into, here's my three things that I eat. Here's the two things I eat for breakfast. Here's what I eat for lunch. Here's what I eat for dinner because it's simple and it's easy. Um, and so where we fall into the issue with that is that we're probably also missing key vitamins and nutrients. Um, another thing that started to kind of shift into a lot of athlete world too is kind of the obsession with either clean eating or what we just call in my profession um, as orthorexia. So it's this like hyper focus on clean foods and they have to be a certain way. And then also it leads into, oh, I'm going to, um, not because I have an allergy, but I'm going to eliminate gluten or dairy or whatever thing without realizing that um, you're actually eliminating a ton of nutrients in there too. So it's A, enough, and then it's variety. So are we able to eat a variety of different types of foods? Can we include those things? And then we start to get into, okay, cool, you got those two things. And then it's like, great. Now we can start to look at 
maybe some more of that balancing of do we do you have enough carbs? Do you have a good amount of ratio of proteins and fats and fibers? Are we looking at um, how are we transitioning into possibly a lower fiber space before race or before big long things on the weekends um, for gastrointestinal tolerance? And then how are we then reincorporating those things so that you're getting maybe more fiber and you're going to get a lot some more nutrients and things in that way too um and then once we have that kind of quote unquote balanced in that sense to meet your training needs then it's like okay cool let's get fancy now let's maybe start to look at supplementation um and maybe run some labs and see if you're missing anything let's maybe start to look at um some fancier like recovery tactics and things like that but a lot of times um people will go straight up to the top when most people actually once we get to those first three tiers we don't even need to go to the very top interesting so you put variety as being kind of more important than than balance yeah I feel like a lot of a lot of athletes or a lot of like articles are talking about the the balance of like macronutrients and I don't see a lot of articles talking about variety. So that's uh, yeah, it's good to hear. Well, and I think variety is really important because it's a flexible. So if you're someone who works full time and possibly has a family, um, we also need to understand that you have your relationship to food and training, but then you also have other people's as well. So we want to make sure that yes, you're getting what you need, but also by getting a variety of foods, you're most likely not going to be completely deficient unless you're only eating French fries or something like that. And then therefore that wouldn't be variety anyways. Gotcha. What's um when you talk about the, the basics uh, is there like a real basic outline you put out there once you're in that, okay, we've established that in terms of timing of food and how people should be thinking about their, their day with food, like a real basics. I know I run into a lot of people where they, 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 they the busy people, like you say, oh, I didn't get breakfast. And then I was rushing out the door and I didn't really eat lunch. And then they're having a really big meal, sort of, they know they need to eat something before they train at night. So they have something small, so it's not too heavy. And then they have this big dinner because they're starving by that time. And so I don't know if you have, uh, you know, I love how you're saying like the foundation, what's your foundation in terms of four busy athletes on, on timing a food or what that looks like. And in that regard. Yeah. So um, I think for any athlete, um, granted, it's going to depend, like there's no specific time that you have to eat breakfast by, like you need to have a morning eating occasion. Um, if you're training in the morning, you need to be having some sort of carbohydrate before that, especially for females, your body does not do well fasted in an aerobic state. So you need to have some sort of carbohydrate. What that is, is going to depend on your gastrointestinal tolerance. So when I say gastrointestinal tolerance, just like our bodies and our muscles and our lungs and our cardiovascular system, we need to also be able to train our gut to be able to tolerate food as we're training. And so in that sense, it's going to depend on what do you tolerate before? Um, what do you tolerate if you need to go swim or if you need to go for a run? And those are probably going to vary too versus you being on the bike uh, just because of the sheer like jostling amount that you're doing in your gut as well. So uh, to me, it's eating before a training session, generally trying to have some sort of carbohydrate. Um, you're not going to tolerate fibers unless you've really, really trained your gut. So really high fiber foods like um, 
a big hearty thing of oats with chia seeds, like probably not going to digest super fast. Fibers slow down your gut. Um, and same thing with fats there. Yes, they may exist in the food that you're eating, but we don't want to focus on like you getting a ton of fat right away before a training session because you don't necessarily need it depending on how long it is. So if it's something shorter, it's carbs. Generally within, um, I generally say within that like 30 minute, 45 minute window, yes, most people need to be eating something with a carb and protein mixture afterwards. And typically that's most people's breakfast. But if you know for your schedule that I don't have time to actually eat a breakfast uh, because I have a commute from the pool back to home or to wherever I'm going. It's like, all right, then maybe we should start to plan to have some sort of protein shake and some sort of like carbohydrate afterwards, like a piece of fruit or something like that. And then on top of that, especially if it's something smaller, like those really quick, easy things, it's like you also probably need to have a meal that's well-rounded with all of the rest of the components of food as well. And then probably a snack and probably a meal and probably a snack. And if you have a training session, make sure you're eating before that. And then also probably another meal after that. Eating is kind of like your basically other job if you're an endurance athlete. <laughs> so like I spend the, a lot of time eating. That's yeah, for sure. Say, I mean, probably like the, the main thing that I'm hearing you say is I, I know so many athletes that start their day with a training session and they, and they don't eat. So it's like the most important takeaway there is you've got to start your day with something before you even start training and then keep the frequency and variety right through the whole day. Um, you know, don't, don't stop there. So it's, it's like, you know, you got that, if you make that key foundation, your habit, you wake up and you have something before you even start your day. Or I've even said to athletes, like, even if they can't do anything, at least have a sports drink on the pool deck or like a gel in their bag that they can have on the pool deck and have it after they warm up, like something in their system. So they're not just doing the whole session completely fasted. Totally. Cause what that's going to reduce, what that's going to do is the other job of an endurance athlete besides eating and training is recovering. So what that's going to do is that if you're going into that session already in a depleted state, you're going to continue to deplete yourself and you're just hindering your ability to recover after that so that you can show up in your next session later that day or the next day or whatever that looks like. And I think even Marilyn, to answer your question of someone who forgets breakfast and then maybe eat something for lunch or like a snack or something and then eats a large meal. What that inherently does is our body can tolerate a lot, but um, how our body and digestion works, I like to think of our body or our gastrointestinal system as kind of like the USPS, like little underfunded sometimes um, and can't really absorb the holiday rush. So in that sense, it's looking at, okay, how do we start to like drip feed ourselves? Like how do we start to just make this a continuous thing? Because our body, even if we're not moving, the amount that it takes our liver and our brain and our body just to function at rest is the majority of your, basically your caloric burn and energy burn during the day. And then your training is just a very smidge on top of that. So really we need a lot to function and our bodies are continuously breaking ourselves down. So if we're not actually giving them the building blocks and things they need to recover, again, we're going to show up tomorrow and not be able to actually show up in that session. Um, and if we're eating just one large meal, what that does is that disconnects us from our hunger cues, um, which is one thing that athletes already have a hard time with because we're looking at a lot of people will tell me like, I'm not hungry in the morning. 
At that point, I don't care. This is function. I don't care if you're not hungry. There's a difference between like physical hunger and then just like feeding you because we need to. Um, and same thing because your appetite um, signals will be really altered because you're basically in a stressed out state after a workout or that's generally what it feels like in your body is that like, hey, I'm running from a lion, even though you're just riding your bike and there's no threat. Um, so what will happen is our body shuts down those hunger cues uh, during a session and and afterwards and so a lot of times i'll have my some of my endurance athletes who first come in my office are like yeah i eat like two hours later and i'm like what <laughs> and so especially if it goes through that period i call it also a hunger hole where it's like all right you've dug yourself into a hunger hole all day and it's going to take a lot to get out of that and so for you to just basically have a restrict and binge cycle in your day um theoretically is how I think of it is you're not going to be able to actually absorb all of those nutrients in that meal, all of that protein, all of those things. And then that's a lot of load on your gut at that time. And then you're like, cool, I also need to go to bed and try to get seven to nine hours of sleep so I can show up tomorrow. And it's not that your body stops digesting food when you sleep, it still digests food, it still functions, but it's just a lot to wake up to. Do you, there was a period of time where that fasted diet was really popular. I can't imagine that went down very well. In the intermittent life. fasting thing. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. To me, I just <laughs> like to think of it as a glorified way to practice an eating disorder, a socially acceptable way. Um, and especially for athletes around training sessions, completely inappropriate. Yeah. So is there, do you see any benefit for like doing a training session fasted? Do you think it, it can change any anything in your body and how you can like handle that or no? So when you look at the research, um, men, generally those who have male genetics, because now we're learning that like, oh, we all live, exist on this like hormone spectrum, um, that um, it's going to be different. You Men will generally oxidize fat a little bit more um, in those states. But for women, what it does is, generally just starts to um that fat oxidation switch doesn't happen in the same fashion as it does for women and so typically it's just going to put you in like a more stressed out less recovered state so it's not ideal do you think that can carry over then to like how you oxidize fat when you're like in in say the next training session after the fasted training session the research does not say so yeah, there's a really great research article um, on, it was more on the keto diet, so a little bit different as opposed to just fasted, but it was in um, the power walkers, which I love. It's my favorite Olympic sport because it's just hilarious. Um, and basically what happens to you if you're in a either rest energy, so energy and calorie, I use those interchangeably. If you're in energy restricted state, um, as well as also a carbohydrate re restricted state. So also for trying to look at fat oxidation, um, what happens is we actually start to see an increase in, um, overuse injuries and bone and skeletal injuries. And if you're in that low carbohydrate state and you're in a high training phase, we can start to see those bone formation changes in even five days. Oh, wow. That's wow. Yeah. 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 I knew all of that, but I didn't know it happened that fast. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It can happen, it can happen really fast. Like we've always known that muscles are adapting and changing all the time. And we thought that our skeleton, or at least I think a lot of people think that like your skeleton, just like, ah, cool. It's like your structure. Um, but it's so much more than that. It's a living, breathing, metabolizing 
organ. Um, so it's, we have the ability to change it all the time. Yes, that will change through our lifetimes, but um, we can definitely in those low energy states um, cause some severe damage. So, I mean, you could get a stress fracture in a hurry if you, if you tried pretty hard. Is that, is that what you're telling me? It'll take, so we, we can see the bone formations on scans and things like that. Um, so it's not like in five days, you're going to give yourself a stress injury um, or a stress reaction, but we, I mean, definitely you can easily do it in a few months if you tried. Um, so don't do that. So don't do that. <laughs> I also know a lot of athletes in terms of like timing food and stuff like that, that they tend to try and, uh, restrict a lot more what they eat or outside of their training, but then really fuel their training very well. And they will come and say, I feel like this is a really effective way to make sure like to, you know, do all the things like recover well, fuel my training really well. I've even heard other coaches give this kind of advice for like, if you really fuel the training well while you're training, but then once you're out of the training, that's when the, like all the restrictions come in. Tell us a little bit about what you think that. Yeah. So I think, so I think a lot of times people, um, like it's all the time in the cycling world of like lighters faster. Um, and even within, um, yeah, even within whether it be a training day or a training cycle, whether that be on an annual base or something like that. Um, to me, what that's doing is because not that our body is like a bank account, we don't wake up and like have all these needs we have to meet, but if sure you can have it dialed around training and that's great. But if you're, skipping a meal later, you're probably missing out on at least a quarter of what you're trying to get into your day, if not more. And that means that therefore we're driving into that energy deficit, which is not ideal for someone who's trying to actually perform and recover. Um, and in that sense as well, I think a lot of times people will be in the training period and they're like, all right, I have to lean down. I have to cut down. I need to cut weight, all of those things. Um, when, to me, when you're in a high volume training session and cycle and period, that is the absolute worst time to do that. It's looking at, all right, maybe in your off season, we're gonna look at Skittles not being your main fuel right now. <laughs> and maybe we're gonna switch to bananas. We're gonna maybe be um, a little bit, we're gonna start to shift nutrition in that way. But like during a high training phase, that is not the time uh, because what we're doing is Anytime you're training, it's stress on your body. It's a good stress, adaptable stress. If we are also eating enough, we can adapt to it. And if we're recovering enough, we can adapt to it. But if we're either training too hard, not eating enough, not recovering enough, then it's kind of like a trifecta. Do you think athletes can safely like lose weight while they're in a high training load? Um, I... I don't think so. Some of the research says, yes, you can. It has to be super monitored in that sense where it's like, I wouldn't, I always like to think about and zoom out on what's the big picture? What's the long game here? Do you want to be continuing in sport when you're 60? Do you want to still be doing things when you're 70? If we're starting to compromise 
bone density and things like that now, and we're trying to shave off weight in this period, then you might be shooting yourself in the foot for later. So to me, I look at the long game. Um, I'm not saying that it can't happen. A lot of times with female endurance athletes, they will actually gain weight um, during a high training phase because it's stress on their body. And especially if they're not meeting their calorie needs or their energy needs, then their body will actually hold on to more weight in that state. So it's going to start to shift and change a lot. It depends on the person, um, but I do think that if that is your goal, you need to be working with a registered dietitian um, who understands your sport in and out. And again, if you're someone who has a family and has a full-time job and has all of these things going on, you may not actually have the energy and ability to be able to totally manage that on your own. Um, fair enough. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about protein. It's um like it's a it's a hot topic right now, and I know um, luckily I don't I don't know if my wife is going to listen to this episode for a while, so I've got a little bit of time here. But she's like she's super into protein right now, um, like making sure she's eating a ton like fairly regularly throughout the day. Do you uh, yeah? What are your thoughts on like how much protein an athlete needs and how often? Protein is the sexy macronutrient. Protein, everyone loves protein. I mean, you don't it's gain like, weight when you eat protein, right? It just goes straight to your muscles and you like magically get thinner. No, unfortunately <laughs> not. Um, so what happens is I, so protein, yes. So protein is essential. It breaks down into amino acids. Um, every single cell, not just your muscles, but every single cell, your blood cells. So especially if you're um, looking at going elevation or things like that, your immunity, immunity will often tank if someone is overtrained as well, they'll get super sick. So that's, those are some ways that we can start to look at, okay, you're probably not getting enough protein. Um, but also another really important part of protein is that it's in charge of making a lot of regulating hormones, but then making enzymes. And also I call it like making your own ends. Like it helps make melatonin, which helps you rest and recover. Um, serotonin, all of those different types of little things that we never think about. We think of protein for muscles and that is it, but it has a very complex role in the body and it does so much more than we think it does. And so I think right now protein again is in the limelight. It is super sexy. Um, but if we're just mega dosing protein and say we are in a carb restricted state for whatever reason, what will happen is I like to think of um, your muscles as each having a gas tank and that gas tank is made of protein, um, but it's uh, filled with glycogen. So glycogen is basically stored glucose and water. Um, and so what will happen is if we're running this tank super low because we're not actually recovering our glycogen stores through eating carbohydrates, then our body is like, cool, cool, cool. I'm actually just gonna break down this protein cap. So I'm gonna make your fuel tank smaller. I'm gonna break down our lean body mass um, and actually utilize that because your body knows that it can then turn that into glucose through a fancy process. So A, if we're talking about protein, we also need to talk about carbs um, because that's also gonna be the difference in how you're recovering and how much energy and like oomph you have. Um, yes, you need to have protein. You probably need to have a lot of it. Endurance athletes need more protein than a typical athlete that you would think that would eat a lot of protein, like your bro bra, 
power lifters or whatever, like, yes, they need protein too. But actually, when you look at the research, endurance athletes, because they're burning through it so quickly and they're utilizing so much energy that they actually do need more. Um, also, the kind of caveat to protein is that um, we can only absorb so much at one time. So we can generally absorb maximum about 30 grams unless you're like a young male athlete, um, then it can go a little bit higher. But on average, we can absorb about 30 grams at a time. Um, the rest of it, it's not that you just like store it, it'll get utilized in some way, shape or form, but we actually don't store amino acids in our body. Like we can store glucose in our muscles and our liver and our brain. We can't actually store protein. Um, so that's where I like to think of that drip system where it's like we need, because our body is always breaking itself down, we need to consistently be giving it some protein. Um, as we're going throughout the day. So that's kind of also Marilyn where that one meal a day, that big meal falls flat because it's like, cool, you're eating 60 grams of protein. You're maybe absorbing half of that. Right. Also, as you age, um, your enzymes decrease and enzymes break down protein into amino acids. And um, as, you're, as you age, you have less of those enzymes. So you actually need a little bit more than, um, than just the than maybe when you were younger. And that's not like a huge amount. That's not, I'm not talking like 200 grams a day or something outrageous, but we need to start to look at, are we getting some of those high quality protein sources anywhere from three to possibly four times a day? And does that, does that change for um, women after a certain age? Is there, or women, you know, pre-menopause, post-menopause, in menopause, is there like a change in an actual recommended amount per, you know, per pound of body weight or, or how they spread that through the day? Is it, is it significantly different at different phases in our lives? You know, Jesse was wanting to touch on that in terms of for, as you age as a male athlete, but also for females, you know, when they change, have go through the changes of life, does it look completely different or is it pretty much the same or? It's going to look different because again, as you age, you're not able to break down as much. Um, so you will need a little bit more and more frequently. Um, with that gram range, again, if you're really curious, you should work one-on-one -on -one with someone. Um, but generally for endurance athletes, not including if you're injured or something like that, but it's anywhere from 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilogram, um, not pound, kilogram. Um, and so in that sense, and it's looking at how do we get really strategic about how do we load that after a training session? How do we also load that again if it's after a training session with carbohydrates? How do we then find those um, the that loading also within meals too? Yeah, so it will change. Um, overall, as women enter into menopause, um, it's going to shift and change of how, and even depending on where you are in your cycle for a female, that's also going to depend on how you're metabolizing glucose, what your hormones are doing. Insulin is technically a hormone as well. Um, not technically, it is. Um, so it's a hormone as well. And so your tolerance, those things are going to shift and change as we go through life. And so it's looking at, okay, maybe it's a still eating carbs around training, um, because you're still gonna need your muscles still function, they still need that glycogen. Um, but then also how do we maybe start to shift a little bit during the day and how do we still continue to focus on some of that protein? I've actually seen like female athletes express that they feel a little bit more 
um, underfueled or bonked during racing when they're racing at certain times in their menstrual cycle, in particular, if they are having their period and they have to race, they feel like, oh man, I felt like I bonked just a little bit more than I normally would on the exact same nutrition plan. Is there something behind that? I know that's a little bit away from protein, but what I'm hearing from you is maybe loading before that, before the race, maybe there was something with their insulin that they actually needed more protein going into the race, or maybe it is that they just actually need to increase feeling down there during the race. Is there something with that? Yeah. So depending on where you are in your cycle. So there's four phases to your cycle. Um, phase one is when you're actually menstruating and then it's going to go through various, um, hormone shifts and changes. And so what's going to happen is you're going to be right before your period. So the reason why everyone's like, I feel hungry all the time, or I feel cranky, or I have a lot of cramps. It's because your body's inflamed. And so what's that's happening? So it's increasing your inflammation, which is going to then decrease how quickly you can recover and adapt. And also um, tendon injuries in this third phase are at a higher risk. And that's been researched, which is really fascinating. So females are at a higher risk of tendon injuries during that time. Um, so you're more inflamed, you're less recovered. Um, and so with that, that doesn't mean that you can't race and that you shouldn't train during that time. It just means we need to make your um, your fuel adapt to that. So it's not, yes, you need more, just more protein, but it's like maybe we need to be a little bit more consistent with carbs and possibly instead of if you just normally run on carbs, it's like, all right, let's also pair that with possibly a touch of protein, but then also really look at that recovery phase too. So it will start to shift and change through that cycle. Um, if someone's actually menstruating, you're actually, um, there's like not a whole lot going on physically in your body. Inflammation somewhat decreased and you can actually perform really well if you feel okay. And if you don't have a lot of um, really bad menstrual symptoms and if you do talk to your gynecologist and see what's going on. Um, but most people should perform pretty well during that time. Yeah. But the reason why I don't think I finished that thought, but the reason why um, people will bonk more so in kind of that third phase is because their blood sugars are more unstable, um, meaning that we need to start to pair in some more of those proteins and fats and things like that. And then when you're not training, getting in some of those slower digesting carbohydrates um, so that you're not going to go through those big like highs and lows. Great. No, thanks. That's great. So for like general advice, if you're in that phase and you're trying to like do a hard session or race, would you say like really focusing on that frequency to try and do your best to like even out that blood sugar um, and like maybe increasing a little bit, but making sure you're just kind of like always on the gas pedal a little bit with, with your eating. Yeah. I mean, for everyone, um, especially if you don't tolerate, um, large volumes of food at one time, my whole kind of motto behind that is early and often is make sure you start eating early and you start eating a small amounts and you start eating frequently. Um, so in that phase, like if it's possible in your training plan, really focusing more so on recovery in that aspect of like maybe you're going to do some of your lower volume stuff in that point maybe you're not going to go like kill it in the weight room or something like that but it is looking at that feeling of are we actually supporting that training um can we start to feel definitely before um definitely right after and then also looking at in between depending on uh the length of that training session 
And there's a few really interesting apps. So there's one of them called Wild AI, which you can kind of track some of this and you can start to track um, your, if you're into tracking things, um, you can track your symptoms, where you are in your cycle. Um, it also is going to totally depend to you on birth control of how you're reacting in this state as well. Um, and then another app is called fitter woman it's f-i-t-r um, and so those are both really interesting apps that have some really great data um, on them and can help you determine of like oh this is why i feel like crap it's in the third phase you are hungry and cranky and want chocolate because you just need more balanced carbs in your life that's all awesome and i guess for like let's say a male who is over 40 and racing does that do you see a change in nutrition requirements then? That's interesting. So typically, granted, there's <clears throat> so there's daily hormone changes across all genders. So male, female, everything in between. Um, but then there's also so there's daily and then women have like not only the daily, but also the monthly cycles and things like that. So what's going to happen for males in general um, until I don't remember the number age off the top of my head, but until about like 60 ish, there's not going to be a whole ton of not, not that there's not a difference. Your metabolism is going to be a little bit different. Um, again, enzymes are going to decrease, but it's not going to change as dramatically as like say a female athlete. All right. I've got what have you time. noticed Jesse? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I still got another month. I'm not 40 yet. <laughs> got it. Have you noticed any changes though of like how you recover? Um, I mean, it's, I feel like it's always hard to compare various points in life because there's so many other changes. Um, I feel like having a child has made it harder for me to recover more than age. So, so yeah, that's, uh, it's a tough one to parse out. Totally. Yeah. The big thing that I've noticed over 40 for, for me as a female is that actually I'm, I'm just, I'm just as, um, able to handle the training and, um, but, but definitely for what I eat, weight gain is a lot different than it was when I was in my thirties. <laughs> That's, and that is pretty common for a lot of the women that I know, even though I've been an athlete my whole life and I'm fairly mus muscly athlete, I've always, me and other women that I've talked to my age, it's, you know, even a lifetime athlete with good muscle mass, it's, how, how quickly you gain weight compared to when you were in your thirties is just even from when I was 35, 36, 37 to where I'm at, at 43 is significantly different. Um, I'm sure you deal with that all the time. Yeah. And so for me and my practice, um, really how I like to think about this is that basically every 10 years of a female's life, um, it is going to, our bodies are going to change, right? So from when we first go through puberty to then once we get into young adulthood and like 20s, like your body's not going to be in that adolescent body anymore. And so it's always going to shift and change. And that's the one thing that we can kind of count on. And I think because there's so much, um, again, in our world of leaner is better or always trying to be smaller. It's looking at why don't we just look at how do we get stronger and support this and not really be as concerned with the physiological shifts and changes because your body is going to change. Your hormones are going to shift. Um, that's going to be, there's going to be a big 
difference there. And yeah, your metabolism will slow down, but that also doesn't mean that you can completely underfeed yourself because then you're just going to miss that ability to adapt to your training. So I think it's more looking at in that sense too, of looking at, okay, sitting with this, if I'm in a different body, how do I still feed this body? How does this body still train? And instead of looking at the aesthetics and appearance of it's how do we start to still feed it so it's still going to do what I'm demanding out of it which is hard <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah those moving targets I, I don't know if uh, this is a good question or not and I didn't I didn't prep you with this at all but um what about the amateur athletes who get into sports a little bit later and they genuinely are a little bit overweight you know, is it the same, you know, I think that that's still an important conversation to have because some athletes, you know, they are genuinely a little bit overweight for what they're trying to do. And, you know, that, and, and, and doing things like they're, they're actually not concerned about underfueling. They are, they are actually overeating, you know, having a whole pizza on Saturday night, isn't, isn't a big deal to them or having, you know, uh, you know, pint of ice cream every three days, those kinds of things. And they are actually in actually in a different category of they are a bit overweight for what they're trying to do. And they are overfueling is, you know, what's, I think it's, you know, we, we tend to all talk about the side of things that we are talking about today, which is a very important side for athletes. But I think it, there is a, a large group of athletes out there where they're listening to this going, I'm carrying 50 extra pounds, you know, I'm a 41 year old male. I've taken up triathlon and I literally have 50 pounds on me and I have no problem eating two burritos and half a pizza on Saturday night. So, um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's important to talk about that just a little bit. So I think it's important to first recognize in that sense too, of like who gets to decide what a triathlete looks like or a runner, right? Like, there's just because one body moves and eats in one certain way and granted how you pose your questions a little bit different like they may be eating a little bit differently but um just because of the energy in versus energy out that someone's putting in their body's still going to respond and adapt differently so i think that there is no one way to look like a triathlete or there's no one way to look like a runner and so i think it's putting aside like the body shape and size aspect of it and really starting to look at for said individual it's like all right if you're eating an entire piece of pizza we or an entire pizza <clears throat> we probably need to look at your relationship to food and dive deeper into that aspect as opposed to saying hey you need to get smaller in order to be faster xyz it's like we probably actually just need to look at your relationship to food because this is coming from somewhere and that's a much bigger topic than like hey I'm in this, I want to lose weight. And it's like, okay, well, let's try to kind of unmarry weight movement food and really start to look at, all right, if you're struggling with food and you have these, to me, like binge tendencies, then it's like, we need to start to look at that. And how is this impacting training? And can we start to make sure that pizza is like a normal part of your life so that when you do eat it, you don't feel like you have to have an entire one. It's like, let's start to listen in that hunger and fullness a little bit more and recognize that we're all going to exist in different body shapes and sizes. And that's not inherently a bad thing. 
Um, that's a good answer. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> I want to. Uh, I, I, I just sorry. know a lot of people that struggle with that. So that's you know they, they'd be listening to this, going, "This is all fine for, you know, you know this person, but what about me?" And and the reason I brought that up is because I get that a lot from people, and and then they'll be listening to this and go, "This is not relatable to me and my situation." So so thanks for answering that so well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I oh, go ahead, Jesse. I was just going to say that I think that is really good advice, and I think so many athletes kind of marry food and training together as, as one kind of like part of their life. And I think that is really good advice to kind of parse that out and look at just how they're dealing with the food part on their own. Yeah. And I think especially if it's an athlete who maybe gets into an endurance sport later on, it's like, and they're trying to say, well, I don't look like that ultra runner. I don't look like that triathlete. It's like, well, a, this person has been in this sport, we call it like time under tension. They've had a lot of time under tension um, in their life. And it's just going to be different. Your body's going to respond differently. Um, and that's not a bad thing. And just because one person does try and automatically like sheds a bunch of weight and all of that doesn't mean that you have to, to still be a triathlete and to still perform well. That's great. So um, one thing I want to kind of circle back to, you mentioned earlier is your, um, your meal prep, meal prep program, which actually I have a few athletes in Tucson that, that have just started doing it and it, it's not your program, but I think it's becoming a more popular thing. And I think for, for busy athletes, it can be, it can kind of be a game changer for those people that we were talking about earlier that are like kind of too busy to get in an adequate meal and they're skipping meals and maybe like eating whatever paydays on the go. Cause it's what they can grab. Um, and you mentioned the word balance and in, in that you kind of like to balance all of yours yourself. Can you talk to me about like, is there certain like percentages that you look for or what describe how you balance your meals, I guess. Yeah. So there's um, I like to think of the reason why I actually started this was I never in as a dietitian, you have to do a year long internship. A third of that is working in like some sort of food service or food management position. I was like, I never want to do this. This is miserable. Now I own a meal prep program because um, I own a business to solve people's problems, to make their lives easier. And so that was something that a lot of people, whether they're athletes or not, but they're like, I don't want to cook. I don't care about cooking. Just like, give me food. And I'm like, cool. You still like, I know you don't want to cook and you don't care about cooking, but you still need to eat a vegetable. Like you still need that. <laughs> and so that was what, um, that was how we started Evolve Eats was, um, creating that just like, all right, here's this thing. It's cheaper than you going out all the time. And it's a little bit more expensive than you just cooking at home. And so from that aspect, a lot of meal prep companies, cause they're in most major cities. Um, a lot of them really, it kind of, the whole idea of it started in, um, more of like the CrossFit world. Um, so very like macro heavy, very, very, very paleo, very, um, generally kind of low towing the line with a low carb world. Um, and so for me, and because I don't believe in like general diets anyways, like I don't believe in keto. I don't believe in like eliminating or restricting any one thing because everything serves a purpose. And so in that aspect, I was like, okay, I want to create this and I want to do this on my terms. So to me, it's like every single meal has a carb. Like we don't have 
low carb options. Every meal is going to vary a little bit, but they meet a certain requirement. Um, every meal is going to have protein. So especially to me, it's like they at least need to have 20 grams of protein in them. So we do have a lot of plant-based meals. And so that one's actually kind of difficult to do to get 20 grams of protein in um, a plant-based meal without it just being like, here's a massive amount of beans for you and nuts. Um, and so there's a lot of things to me, it always has to have a vegetable um, and always has to have a certain amount of fat in it. And so to me, it's just looking at, are we checking those boxes? Um, do you actually have like enough potatoes, not like two, but do you have enough potatoes of like baby potatoes or something like that? So to me, it's just balance for an athlete. Um, they're based on like what an average person would generally need. Um, and for athletes, we have a lot of athletes that get them. And so to me, I'm like, cool, we also have snacks. And if you want to buy them from us, great. But if not, we can, um, it's really important that you also supplement um, with these meals as well. Awesome. Um, just for my own curiosity, can you give me an example of like a, a plant-based meal that you have that's um, you know, falls in that 20 grams of protein kind of balanced. Totally. So we just had like my favorite thing on, and I'm really sad that it's off the menu right now, but it's like a miso chickpea bowl. So it's miso roasted chickpeas. Um, there's like a cup of chickpeas in there with some kale and some cabbage. And there's like a lime, something dressing over it. Um, there's toasted hemp seeds on it. Um, so that's where the protein is going to be coming from. And there's quinoa. Um, so that's the plant-based version. Then we will often do like a more meat-based version spinoff. So it's that less chickpeas, throw some chicken on there. Um, and it's going to be higher in protein, obviously, but, um, but yeah, that's what it looks like. It sounds really delicious, actually. Now I'm kind of so hungry. Good. I'm like, oh, that yeah, sounds really so good. good. I, I would like to have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, like, there's been a huge, obviously, influx in Game Changers, like the movie Game Changers that came out, and a huge influx around the environment and how do we start to, yeah, probably consume more plants. Everyone should eat more plants. I don't think you have to be vegan or necessarily be plant-based or have that label. But I think that um, that's one thing that's really hard. If you're an endurance athlete, you can get enough protein and meet your needs for sure, but it's just going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, it definitely takes a little bit more effort. Yeah. I mean, I know it's definitely good for the environment, but the breeder test really did it for me. That was uh, that flipped a switch. Interesting. Um, I'm joking. I'm totally joking. Okay. I'm like, uh, do you really want me to debunk that right now? No, no. <laughs> Great. Um, um, cool. Awesome. Well, I don't know, Marilyn, do you have any more questions? Um, the, the very last question I have, and I don't know how much time we have left, but the very last question I have for a lot of amateur athletes is I'm bringing up all the like really hard questions and the really like real stuff is is there relationship and balancing in the fun stuff of life, like alcohol and training? So, and I don't mean alcohol well, they're training, <laughs> although for some, maybe there is alcohol in their bottles. I don't know, but you know, most athletes, um, if they're amateur athletes and they're adults, then, then hopefully they have a healthy relationship with alcohol. But I think if you could just touch um, say someone has a completely healthy relationship with alcohol, they're, they're an athlete, this is part of their routine in their life, maybe it is part of their social scene. And but what does that look like in terms of, you know, where does that fall in recovery? What does that actually do? And I, I think just touching on that is also important, because it's a part of a lot of people's 
social life, right? And so how do we look at this and, and what impact does it have? That kind of thing. Totally. I think it's an important question because just like food plays a social, emotional, um, functional, it meets so many needs in our lives, but also alcohol can do that to an extent if it if it's in a healthy way, right? If we have a healthful relationship to it. Um, so what I typically say is we all know that um, alcohol, especially if you have too much of it, is going to impact your sleep. So I generally tell my athletes that it probably you probably shouldn't be drinking um, the night before a bigger training session. Um, and because that's going to impede your recovery. Um, and to me, like an athlete needs to be sleeping seven to nine hours a night. Um, if you have ways to track that, whether you have like a whoop strap or you have a Garmin or something like that, like it should also be restful sleep, not just you in bed for seven to nine hours, but actually restful sleep. Um, and so alcohol will impact that for sure. It will cause disrupted sleep. Um, and so typically I tell people not right before either a big race or um, a longer training session and um, your liver, because every time we consume alcohol, it somewhat damages your liver and it needs your liver also needs to recover. So we need to look at, okay, just like with high intensity days, we don't do them every single day in a row all the time. Um, because what that's doing is we're not allowing our muscles to recover. So same thing with your liver, you need to be able to allow it adequate time to recover. So kind of rule of thumb for me is no more than two drinks at a time. Um, and granted, there's going to be times where you have more than that. And that's fine. It's whatever. But generally rule of thumb is no more than two drinks at a time and trying to space them out, um, not around heavy training sessions and probably having a day or two off in between. That sounds like very reasonable advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're trying, and if that feels like unreasonable advice, if you're like, what, I can't have a glass of wine every night, then it's looking at, okay, what is this coping mechanism? What are you using this for? What are other ways we can start to look at de-stressing or um, balancing out that need? Thanks for being willing to answer all my very, they're like sensitive topic type questions. So I appreciate that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, just going back to the alcohol during training, I do have a tricycle race coming up where I need to uh, consume two beers during, during this tricycle race. Um, Dude, I just got an invite to that exact same race. And oh, are we racing each other? Like, we need to kick ass. And I'm debating. I'm entered in the Chino Grinder that exact same day. And I'm like, ooh, I need to decide whether I want to do the Chino Grinder, which you know the course, yeah, yeah. or the bicycle race. And I'm like, man, if I know my team can kick your team's ass, I might. I might. I have a tricycle race. race. That sounds like way more fun. <laughs> Chino yeah. Grinder fun too, but um, I think you're going to do great, Jesse. And I think if you wear a costume, it's also bonus points. All right. Fair enough. Well, Marilyn, I mean, for my benefit, I hope you go to the tricycle race so we can go heads up on um, some, some tricycle beer drinking action. It is crit style and I have seen you corner. So I, I was actually, I was already practicing on the tricycle. So I got that thing up on two wheels. I was taking the corners pretty hot. Don't worry. Nice. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? So you can find me at Evolve Flagstaff. You can go to our website, evolveflg.com. You can also find me on Instagram at underscore um, or at underscore Abby Chan underscore. 
Um, and then also at Evolve FLG. You can find Evolve Eats if you want to like think about food and get pretty pictures of food um, at Evolve Eats um, on Instagram as well. Awesome. And on that note, I think we all appreciate your uh, Food Friday shirt. So thanks for wearing that oh, today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Food Shirt Friday. Yeah. Thank every you day. so much. I actually learned some cool things today from you. So that was, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Totally. All right. Thanks, yeah. guys.